In what will be the most physical representation of our season's theme, we'll take a look at the flag referendum from 2015. For those born in 1997, which makes up a significant amount of our listeners, this was their first opportunity to vote. Now for Kai and myself, we can't trace our ancestry back to the early 1800s, so to us, events that occurred back then may not have a great impact on our lives today. Now that can't be said for the flag referendum. As we went through in our last episode, the Treaty of Waitangi was signed in 1840. The first signee was a man from Napui, Honeheke Pōkai. His ride or die, Taharatua, attacked the flagstaff that flew the Union Jack in 1844, and Honeheke chopped it down in 1845, one year later. This was New Zealand's first ever issue with the flag, and although the current flag isn't entirely the Union Jack, it's still in the top left-hand corner like other colonies of Great Britain. The flag referendum captured the nation for 2015 and deserves a look. So without further ado, let's unpack. First article we're going to look at today is from the New Zealand Herald. Published on October 15th, 2014. Headline is, NZ to vote on new flag next year. Tagline is, New Zealanders are likely to get their first vote on a new national flag at the end of next year, Prime Minister John Key says. Does New Zealand need a new flag? Asked New Zealand Herald. Um, this is a throwback. Remember, remember, I remember this vividly and being like, wow, we're going to get to vote on a flag. Mm. That's real interesting, you know. Um, it was... Interesting, but then less so for me because it was the second time that I'd voted. Because oh. in my in my first year of university at um, a rural hall in Auckland, I actually voted in the general election. But for you, this, this was, was this was the first time you're voting, so yeah. it was a completely new experience for you. Yeah, because I was a seasoned veteran of one election, so you know, <laughs> you you went into the voting be like, "Hey, how you doing? Yeah, you how you doing?" It's like, "Hey, good to see you, bro." That's <laughs> why I knew everybody. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, it's me again. What's up?" First comment is from Esme. Esme says. Waste of time and money. Also, what is going on behind this look a new flag business? I'm suspicious. The Anzac centenary is approaching, and I think we should keep the flag they saluted as their icon of home. I really just first off, I really appreciate how you read all the comments deadpan because like I was reading it and I was like, I'm suspicious, yeah. but you know I can't add that <laughs> spice to the, the comment. You go for the theatrical thing. Like, <laughs> I would. What is going on behind? I us? would, bro. Look I would. A new flag. But no, and it's unfair for me to do so, because then that does change the meaning of the comments. So you actually do a good job hey. by just having it deadpan. I appreciate hey, you. Thank you so much. I'm going to re-sign the contract next year. <laughs> <laughs> First of all, um, we do want to pay our respects and thank you to all Anzacs uh, who fought in the First World War and gave their lives to the cause. In 1914, you know, New Zealand was um, very much a part of Britain. And when the First World War sort of started, there was no question that we were going to back up great britain right like first of all we kind of had the whole mantra of like yo wherever they go we go exactly and a second reason was that was probably because a lot of the people that were now living in new zealand citizens in new zealand were first generation second generation from britain yeah they would have just recently immigrated here yeah exactly right so like they would have still had very very strong ties not just in the government section but like as citizens as well um so yeah like I get that. However, 
this Anzac thing is brought up a lot in this flag sort of conversation. Like right? it's the main, it's the main justification people have who are adamantly against not even thinking of the other flags as an option, but just like we shouldn't even be talking about this. Like it's disrespectful to even have this conversation. Absolutely, and you see that a lot um, in America. Um, everybody brings up the whole, but what about the troops? Oh, yeah. They piddle that out all the time, but then actually if you look at uh, troops' lives after they leave the army and the whole high like homelessness rates and govern- lack of government support, but you know, like it's, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I, I get I get Esme's comment, you know, and Zach's centenary. What a year to bring up the whole conversation of, like, let's have a, you know, a flag referendum. But we'll get into that later. Next comment is from Ian. Ian says... The way John Key going, it should be a for sale sign with sold written across it. And I think this comment is a a sign of the times where the national government under John Key were known for selling off state assets, a lot of houses being being bought in New Zealand by foreign investors, and that kind of manifested into some aspects of the housing crisis as we know it. But Mm. we both don't own property or know nothing about housing, so I'm going to just stop there on the housing chat. But that comment is very much... A comment of its time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I remember um, applying for StudyLink and they were like, do you have any assets? (laughs) (laughs) No. No. What do you mean? (laughs) Yeah. 17. Let me just Google. Assets. Nope. Neither. Nope. I don't. You gotta look at what assets are. Like, (laughs) I don't have a house. I don't have a car. No. No, no, I don't have anything. But um, Ian kind of touches on this, uh, the sort of reading behind the lines of the comment, uh, the whole John Key legacy type project. Now, um, you know, the whole, oh my gosh, you have a legacy. Look, most politicians, uh, when they get to that level of government, whether it be like a deputy prime minister or prime minister or sort of like spokesperson of a certain portfolio, um, they want a legacy project. You know, we saw it with Robert Muldoon and the Think Big projects. Um, we can see it today with Chloe Swarbrick's decriminalization of drugs. Um, Winston Peters was the gold card. Um, and it doesn't really stop there. It's not a new thing. In the 1880s, Julius Vogel vowed to fix the economy after the international banking crisis and was literally like, I'm not leaving until I sort this out. That's like a sneaky way to be like, and eh, no, a term is meant to be three years, but I said I wasn't leaving. Yeah. So like, we got to extend that. Until everybody got money in here. <laughs> Which like, I kind of got to take my hat off to, right? Like, that's, that's kind of nice. And then actually speaking on the money point of view... Has, has anyone ever sold, like, a flag or bought a flag? Or, like, how is that? Interestingly, as a national flag, not quite. However, and very close to our home, the Aboriginal flag is under copyright The Australian, law. yeah. The Australian Aboriginal flag, the one with the yellow sun with the red and black background, isn't actually supposed to be used at all. Um, what? I know, I know. When I was reading about this, I was gobsmacked (laughs) (laughs) so an artist named harold thomas who is aboriginal created it in 1971 for a civil rights movement in australia for obviously the civil rights of aboriginal people and that was used as that movement like the flag of that movement Mm. and then in the 1990s he kind of realized that everybody was using that flag to represent Aboriginal people and Aboriginal things. And he was kind of like, hey, you guys are using this flag, which is fine. You're also like printing shirts and making money off it. And it's kind of my art. Uh, And so in the 1990s, he went through a very intense legal battle and he had it copyrighted. Wow. And so Harold Thomas pretty much told everybody, 
including Aboriginal people, you cannot use this. And there were actually MPs of Aboriginal background who have like the tattoo of the Aboriginal flag. Re- of, I mean, of course they, of course they would. Yeah, absolutely. And and like you know, people buy shirts um, when the, you know the Australia Day thing as well. With yeah, I mean, the fact that we're actually able to know what that flag is exactly. shows that it is widely used in the country. And Harold Thomas was like, first of all, nobody can use it for monetary gain. That is not why I created this flag. And I get it. He is probably, if you're going to say like OG in that time of the civil rights movement for Aboriginal people creating that flag and then seeing what other people use it for and making money off it and selling shirts and socks and tattoos and whatever. 100%. You'd probably be like, man, no. Because I imagine when when Howard first created the flag, Howard would have been quite stoked to see that people were using it kind of around them and showing the immense pride that people had in the flag, probably because of the different meanings of the colors to that community. Mm -hmm. But when they would have seen different flags being sold at events, it's like, no, why should, why, why should they profit off of us? Exactly. Exactly. Harold should have set up an NFT, huh? Oh, bro. (laughs) Uh, But um, yeah, that is the only flag uh, to date that is under copyright. Um, and it's interesting that like one person made this flag mm-hmm. and then it's then used to represent an entire community and what the specific meanings of the colors are. But I, I guess we'll get into that later on in terms of the New Zealand flag and what the specific colors and what representation that has for New Zealanders or Kiwis. Absolutely. Absolutely. Next comment is from Catherine. Catherine says, no, that flag represents a generation of young men who gave their lives so we can enjoy the freedoms we have now. It would be disrespectful to our origins as a country and those who fought and died for it. Okay, so I didn't raise this point before, Mm -hmm. but one, what do the colors on the flag actually mean? That's a question that I have. And then two, people imply that we can't commemorate the people that have fought and died for the country and also change the flag. Right. Like people imply that we can't do both. But look, we go, we're going to... Let's, let's, let's get into the first question, first of all. And um, I, you know what? None of, neither of us are vexillologists. Um, Sorry, don't, don't try slipping these big words that... I mean, right. maybe me, I don't understand. Like, what actually is that? Vex- I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. A vexillologist is someone who studies and creates flags. So they know the meanings of flags and countries' histories and things like that. Oh, so nice. It's also a long-as-hell word. Yeah. And it has a V and an X in it, so it's obviously cool. Yeah, I looked at it and I was like, I almost sneezed when I saw it, so... <laughs> <laughs> but um, to your first question, what does our flag actually mean? You know, the colors and, and the Southern Cross and things like that. So the royal blue background um, derives from the ensign of the blue squadron of the Royal Navy. Um, so obviously the Royal Navy blue, um, the stars of the Southern Cross, and it emphasizes the country's location in the South Pacific Ocean. And then obviously the Union Jack in the first quarter recognizes New Zealand's historical ties as a British colony and dominion. Um your second question is a little bit harder to answer. The whole narrative of fighting for a flag. Yeah, because they also, within these comments, and I think the first comment you read out today from Esme, implied that when people went to war for New Zealand, they were fighting for the flag. Mm-hmm. And from my point of view, that's technically not true. They were fighting for the country. The Correct. flag is just a representation, a representation that was chosen by a few individuals of what the country is. Mm-hmm. And... Countries change over time. 
Like it's been over a hundred years since that was that was used and known as the quote unquote New Zealand flag. A lot has changed since then. I mean, the demographic of people have changed. So to kind of say that for that reason we can't change a flag, I just don't think it's a good enough reason. We can we can say that we don't want to change a flag. That's fine. But I think your reasoning needs to be sound. It needs to be more sound. You're absolutely correct. And the, the country that these men sort of died for, you have to understand that even at that stage, the national anthem was different. You're going you're gonna to tell me that we should not change the national anthem as well? Because that's something that they would have remembered way more than, I think, the flag. And the national anthem didn't even have Tereo Maori in it. So you could kind of say that the country has evolved or changed um, since these men had put down their lives for it. Now, that is also kind of saying that these men would have had a full-on... I guess, imagined future of what their country would look like in the 1930s, 1940s, that sort of thing, let alone a hundred years later. Exactly. So I don't think a flag is even the beginning of your argument. It is actually the national identity, as you said, and what these people carry around with the freedoms that they have. So, and to try represent an entire country in like three or four colors. I mean, like, I wish you well. Personally, I wish you well. The next article is published by... New Zealand Herald. October 30th, 2014. Headline says, Taxpayers face $25 million bill even if old flag stays. Tagline says, Changing New Zealand's flag is likely to cost the taxpayer $30 million or more. Do you think it's worth it? Well, first of all, your headline and your tagline say two different things. Yeah. That's a $5 million difference. <laughs> and that's a lot of money. That, yeah, that's not like pocket change. Yeah. That is that is in a whole lot of money. So New Zealand Herald, you, you, you got to update. They probably, what they probably did was they wrote the, te- the headline and then they were like, tagline, let's just update it when the facts come out. As we've seen most of these, uh, you know, news organizations do when they don't actually have the full facts. But anyways, <laughs> first comment comes from Keegan. Keegan says... How about not wasting $25 million and give it to Auckland's roading problems? Why can't they do a digital referendum would only cost, what, twenty k for development? So there's two parts to this comment. Um, in terms of a list of priorities for problems, I'm sorry, Aucklanders, your roading problems might be there a while. It's not high up on my list of things that need to be solved. It might be on the list. Or it might not is. be, but it is not at the top. Actually, we we still have one lane bridges in Northland, so I'd like to be pushed up to priority. <laughs> <laughs> priority one. Okay, cool. <laughs> there there go. you go. That'd be great, thanks. And the unpacked priority list of what government should spend money on. <laughs> one lane bridges in Kaitaia. That's what that's what we advocate for. Anybody sign the petition, let's go. <laughs> um, but yeah, $25 million is a lot of money, but kind of to break down a few of the fees, we're not going to break down the entire flag referendum. We're going to look at the flag consideration panel, um, which was of 12 well-known New Zealanders, uh, none of which I've ever heard of, um, but they all had a budget of $465,000 for the entire panel. So you had people like Professor John Burroughs, who was paid $22,000, um, and the report actually said that he didn't even actually charge for a significant amount of his time. He could have charged way more for his time. Which is kind of nice because this is something that has massive cultural significance to the country. So it's kind of nice they are not charging us a lot. Absolutely. So you had like a like an experienced flag historian and vexillologist in Malcolm Mulholland who charged $33,000 for his time. And then you had Rod Drury, um, the boss of Zero, the accounting firm, who declined any payment. He was just like, I just want to give this to, I guess, my country, right? And yeah, that is nice. 
Um, but the whole thing costed $294,000 for the consideration panel. Mm, that's a lot. That's a lot of money. That's qu- that is a quarter million dollars. And I get it. Once you look at the New Zealanders around the table and their fees and probably the travel of getting the people to one round table, yeah, maybe those fees do add up. It's also interesting to note the the different people who were on the panel. Like, Rod is someone who's had a massive impact on New Zealand Mm business-wise. And is that a perspective that should be there when deciding what people view as maybe part of the national identity of the country? I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you probably have to have one person there like that. I wouldn't say that you would have to have all 12 people there that were business savvy, but it would be nice to have one person from the business sector. It's also like, how do you how do you calculate kind of the importance of a person for, for New Zealand? But look, yeah. that's getting into it. Like, there's always going to be an arbitrary way of deciding how to, of deciding who to actually be on the board to decide. But. That's the thing, there's no there's no way of picking just 12 that's i think that's the biggest part right but at the end of the day we all did have a decision into what actually picked the flag and isn't that just a beautiful way of democracy isn't it great isn't it perfect isn't it just perfect absolutely democracy is actually probably one of the greatest tools of government let's get into online voting (laughs) um online voting is (sighs) keegan says that look it will cost what 20k no I wonder where that 20k came from. Where did That's you think 20k like, came from? Yeah. What did you? What could you possibly? I want a breakdown. Hey, Keegan, if you can hear this, can you send us a breakdown of your expenses, please? I'm intrigued. So, just to give you some clarity into what online voting would even look like, or, hey, let's look at the census that was online in 2006. How much did that online component cost? 12.7 million dollars. And it was used by 7% of respondents. 7% of people that took the census took it online, Keegan, and it cost us $12.7 million. So your whole idea of the whole let's just make this referendum online for 20K, what are you doing, hiring a Google form? <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that one. And also online voting does have many problems. Oh, absolutely. People always look at online voting as a way to fix kind of the low rates of people who vote, say, in the general elections. But I mean, just to name like a couple, a few issues, security the reason why hackers are successful in society is because their abilities are greater than that of government's abilities to hold information, etc. So Fuck. that's a big one. The digital literacy, especially of, say, elder populations, mm-hmm. like m- being able to get them to actually vote online would would take a lot of training and just like a lot of time and care, which, look, if we wanted to go down this path like we could do, but then also just at a base level, access to the Internet. Absolutely. Not everybody in this country has access, has a strong connection or access to the Internet. So or a digital device. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, we found that amplified during COVID. Oh, Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And we can even see it, as you said, like in the census, you know, 2006, 7% of people answered online. And even getting into the whole digital literacy of elder populations, I did, I do remember when uh, the US elections were on, people were kind of saying like, oh, this is fantastic that it's like digital online voting. Maybe old people won't be able to vote. And to anybody that thinks that, I'm like, don't, never try to silence people. Never try to silence anybody in a democracy. That's literally what we've all built on. Once you start to silence stories, you are the oppressor. Exactly. It's the antithesis of, of a democracy. Exactly. So shut up. <laughs> Next comment comes from Tanya. Tanya says, do any of you realize this is just a smokescreen for something else he is up to? Damn, I really think John Key's sneaky, huh? Bro, John Key probably so sneaky, ain't he? <laughs> 
This man is so sneaky. Um, first of all, the whole smokescreen kind of thing. It's a pretty popular belief, though. It's a popular belief in anything the government does where the public don't actually know what's going on. And that is because the government is doing a hundred things at once. And also, the media choose to report on what they want to report on. Some things are going to be sexy and generate clicks. Some things, unfortunately, aren't. Uh-huh. Exactly, exactly. But this was a yeah massive wide belief in uh, the entire flag referendum because at the time, we were all talking about the TPPA um, being negotiated, the Trans-Pacific uh, Partnership Agreement. Yeah. So I believe it was 11 countries in the Pacific, um, including the United States, and we were negotiating actually signing it. Now, it was a free trade trade agreement. Tabby, while we wrote this episode, I think we clicked on many links and many uh, videos of, here's a TPPA explained in three seconds. (laughs) (laughs) And And how they all end. And they all ended with, now this is a very complex issue, and I don't think we can touch on all of the things, so here are the basics. The TPPA is the transposition. Yeah, okay, bro, get to it. (laughs) So here at Unpack, we're going to make it very kind of basic and simple of what a free trade agreement actually looks like and what that meant for the trans-Pacific. Well, I'm just going to say TPPA because we're just going to make it an acronym. Tabby, you own a bar. Nice. It's a nice bar. Hey, thank you. You have cocktails, bar, like, you know, bar treats, wine. I also have a bar. I sell beer and wine. Our clientele is very much the same. Yeah. You know, sometimes they leave my bar and they go to your bar. Fantastic. Sometimes vice versa. But hey, when you clock off Mm. and you come to my bar, we both, uh, you know, kind of see the same clientele. We're both in this struggle together. My drinks that cost me five dollars to import and i sell them for ten you know what tabby you can have them for five dollars i'm gonna hey, give nice. you that discount there's no there's no tax on that there's no nice. tax on that because hey, thank we're you. all in the same struggle and to you're be right. fair, the delivery person probably drops us off at the same time and you know what because i'm also such a nice guy drinks that cost me seven dollars to import that mm-hmm. i sell for 20 because i'm about that profit margin mm-hmm I'm going to charge you $7 for them instead. What? Yeah. Hey, man, I really appreciate that. Hey, thank you. It's also kind of nice because you sell things that I don't sell. And I Mm. really love that sort of stuff. Yeah. You're you're really getting those, like, nice reds. That nice red wine. Oh, that Merlot last night? Oh, my gosh. I would love that for $7. And don't worry. I've got you sorted because I have really nice white wines that you don't sell at your place. Hey, thank you. Exactly. So I think we're both happy in this. And we're not actually wasting that much money. No, we're not. We're helping each other out. That is a free trade agreement, everybody. So we know that that is a uh, very uh, complex issue. Then we <laughs> let us uh, break this down in thirty seconds. Uh. <laughs> so that's exactly what a free trade agreement is, and a multilateral one is just one between like eleven different bars. Now, what we explained there was we just took off what would be in a free trade agreement tariffs. And those sort of taxes that when you're importing goods and services sort of cost people a lot of money and really discourage businesses to, for coming to your shores and your market. So it makes it easier on everybody that signs the agreement. However, in international relations, there are many other things in those free trade agreements that kind of just slip away, which is what a lot of people were protesting about. Yeah, and I mean, every country has their own context around what free trade might look like to them for different items, etc., etc. Exactly, and the main point of talk in New Zealand was actually about the Treaty of Waitangi. Now, it was researched by the Waitangi Tribunal to see whether the country signing the TPPA was a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi. It was not. 
it was found that it was not a breach of the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, it focused on that clause that allowed the Crown to take measures it deems necessary to accord more favorable treatment of Māori, including fulfillment of the Treaty of Waitangi. And it found that, yeah, that the government could still uphold that and be in the TPPA at once. So, nice. Next comment comes from Maurice. Maurice says, why can't this go to a people's vote once and for all? Why wasn't it included as a question when we voted? So Maurice is asking, why wasn't it included as a, do we want to vote on a flag referendum before we actually went to the choosing between four flags and the choosing between the current one and the new one? That's what Maurice is kind of saying. Yeah, yeah. Democracy's great, isn't it? (laughs) Maurice really wants a democratic way of introducing democracy. I love the way we vote. But you kind of, not to get existential here again, you really don't vote for that much in a democracy, though. Like, we don't... There's something called the social contract theory that basically says that once we are born into a democracy or a liberal um, democracy that runs capitalism, we automatically sign a, a social contract that says we are going to now pay taxes once we get a job. We are now going to adhere to the rules and the laws and things Absolutely. like that. There are things that we don't sign that we're just kind of born into. And don't necessarily have a choice if you kind of want to operate as a quote-unquote maybe upstanding citizen, whatever that means. Exactly. And 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 Maurice kind of touches on that in the slightest point of like, yo, like, why can't we just vote on this? But kind of playing into her bag a little bit, the previous referendums that we have had in this country do have a preliminary vote of like, hey, do we actually want to talk about this? Yes or no? And so, if it's yes... Let's talk about it. So this one was kind of done in the opposite way, right? Where we didn't really get a say on whether we actually wanted to talk about it, right? Exactly. We we got the whole, hey, here's five flags that uh, we're kind of looking at. And then, as, as you know, probably from the referendum, the winner of that flag referendum got to go against our current flag. And then we were able to say new flag or current flag. And that's it. So, yeah, it was done back to front. It's kind of like... John Key was rushing. In a sense, yes, but then also the way that it was done. I mean, given that the, the national government and John Key were like, we are going to do this, the way and the order that they did it in actually meant that for us to change the flag in that last stage of the referendum, 50% of the country, people who voted, would need to say, okay, we prefer this new flag over the current flag. And I think that is nice, right? In the sense of we needed we need half the country or half the voters to agree on this. Absolutely. And like I get that. I get that. But Maurice is clearly mad about that. Yeah. Democracy is so great. Next article comes from Stuff, published on August twenty second, twenty fifteen. Headline says The Silver Fern suits our flag, quote by John Key. Tagline says, our flag can be the choice of New Zealanders rather than the 19th century adaptation of a British ensign. Damn. Bit of smoke Key got buzz, bro. Key got buzz. Okay, okay, Key. Um, A very clear kind of distaste for the whole British thing. Yeah. John Key. And the whole like, oh, our troops fought fought for the flag. It represents the country. It's like, well. This is why it came about, so... Exactly, exactly. And the whole, uh, oh, but we adopt, we, this is an adaptation of the British Ensign and sort of thing. You're like, yeah, we can all see that. It's, yeah. it's got the Union Jack right there, yeah. and we use the same colors. First comment 
comes from John. John says, We are allowed a democratic choice of flag, but not whether we lose our sovereignty to massive global corporations who are pushing the TPPA down our throats. Key is money speculating, swindler who is guilty of treason. Don't be fooled by his trickery. First of all, before we even get into his comment, it sounds like John is very scared about losing his sovereignty to massive global corporations. Imagine losing your sovereignty. So anyway, one, one uh, of the clauses in TPPA uh, meant that, yeah, pretty much uh, multinationals could sue our government over any law. Yikes. Yeah. Um, so not the greatest. No. no. Now, obviously, the government, not everything the government does is great and should mm-hmm. be called out on it. Now, the legislation, uh, now the legislative process of, say, suing the government and the, the kind of the consequences of that would be somewhat widespread, but... Mm, it's kind of like, would you rather the people take the government to court or Google? Yeah, I'm going to side with the people. Yeah, a bit odd. Um, another clause would have said that Pharmac actually would have had to compete with pretty much all of those, uh, you know, multinational pharmaceutical companies. So they weren't, I can't imagine they were too stoked about this. They probably would not have survived a year um, mm. competing with those uh, prices, especially because they could have imported their pharmaceuticals without tariffs. Yeah, exactly. Yikes. And online privacy would have definitely been eroded. Um, also, kind of not even talking about those underlying parts of the deal that the media couldn't even get access to. Those are the ones that we knew about. Yeah. And so all these free trade agreements are very... Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I guess hidden, you know? It's, it's so strange that a government could even sign a document um, that I guess the, on behalf of the people that the people don't really know the full details of. But wait, are we in a democracy? We are kind of in a democracy, yeah, for sure. But, um, you know, the government signs stuff every day on behalf of us because I guess we elected them. Um, and I don't know. I guess giving up that sovereignty is kind of scary. We're going to go to an ad break. We hope you're enjoying the episode. Just charming and Lee know that we have a wavy new website. UnpackNZ.com is the home of anything and everything Unpack related, including merchandise. As we upload the episodes for season three, prints will simultaneously become available to you of the episode artwork, as well as other little gems. So make sure you head to the website and bookmark it. We also have a section where you can become a patron. Patreon is how you can join the Unpacked community and support the podcast with all funds going straight back into the project. As a patron, you get access to bonus content that will never, ever, like, ever, be posted on public listening platforms. We're building a wonderful community of people and would love it if you joined. Hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. If you do, make sure to share it with your friends and whanau. That's the easiest way to support us. Welcome back from the ad break. I hope you took some time to think about, you know, what it would be like to have the sovereignty taken away from you by a country. Next comment is from Nicholas. Nicholas says, I'm amazed at all the supporters of the current flag posting in here. I look forward to seeing the All Blacks being greeted with a sea of red, white, and blue when they run onto the field at the Rugby World Cup. In brackets, I'm also looking forward to being called a John Key supporter by the anti-change lot. I could do with a laugh. Oh. <laughs> Hilarious. 
I don't actually know if Nicholas is being sarcastic in this entire comment or not. Yeah. Because the whole thing is he's claiming that it's going to be terrible to see the All Blacks coming out in red, white, and blue. And if he's not sarcastic, our flag is already red, white, and blue. And the All Blacks come out in black. The All Blacks and their brand actually have nothing in red, white, or blue. Yeah, I think it's it's a it's a weird one, and it's also interesting for me that when Nicholas is on an article reading about the flag referendum, Nicholas's mind goes straight to the All Blacks, and it kind of shows the importance mm. that rugby has, or at least the All Blacks have, because sadly a lot of people don't really care about women's rugby in this country. But you know, we went off about that before, but just. The All Blacks have such an important place in Nicholas's mind that that is what Nicholas goes to. Yeah, that's it's interesting. That's the first thing on his mind, right? And and even even the fact that the All Blacks don't have like a Southern Cross or a Union Jack on their current brand at all. Yeah. Do you, do you think like do you think anything would make them change that? Absolutely not. No. There's there's no way the All Blacks brand is based on kind of the black color, so it's not going to be changed. No, absolutely not. Next article is from Stuff, published on March 5th, 2016. Headline says, Winston Peters, we don't want or need a new flag, as a quote from Winston Peters. Tagline is, our flag has been a valued part of our nation's story in good times and bad. It should not be denied. Another quote from Winston Peters. Um, I just want to kind of complain about this piece. Also, interesting that a politician is going to use a news agency to post something, obviously stating opinion at the start. But if you're, say, an average person just looking at the news and you see this coming from Winston Peters, you might almost associate this with somewhat being factual to a degree and going in deeper to um, the, the dribble that Winston wrote. What really frustrated me and what's been talked about before is the fact that for, I guess for some people, the flag represents our heritage. And you can actually, if you actually look at the, the piece that Winston wrote, the words heritage, the word heritage, and then the flag are so closely tied to each other in the article that it's Mm. almost like he's trying to push the notion that the flag does actually represent our heritage, which isn't really true. Damn. Yeah, I read this and I was getting a bit frustrated, so I had to say something. I'm sorry. But, like, the thing is, you're absolutely right. And once again, you see politicians use that stuff all the time of, like, tying those words together, painting that vivid, vivid picture in your mind. Of course, in your mind, you're just going to think the flag, heritage, together. Why? How can we, like, tear our heritage down? Of course not, when it's not like that. Yeah. That's not the conversation we are having. For those who are not aware, the New Zealand First Party is, I'd say... It's a right-wing political party, but I'd almost say centrist right-wing political party. There's probably some people that are going to kill me for saying that. However, I'm looking at this from a very neutral point of view. And they do have that real traditional New Zealand sort of play on their policy. So this is definitely Winston rallying up his voters. Of course. Got to. Got to. And he's a seasoned veteran of this game. Oh, Winston no. knows what he's doing. No, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a seasoned veteran. Yeah. First comment is from... Rochelle. Rochelle says, Through this process, I have decided that if British Union Jack continues as our flag, I simply will not recognize or respect it. I will not stand for it, use it, or have it anywhere in home. So regardless of the vote, for me, the old Union Jack is definitely no longer my flag. This is the narrative that I think is growing amongst New Zealanders. Um, The fact is that Rochelle is just saying, I'm done with the Union Jack. 
And I want to know if this referendum has brought that up for her or if she's been feeling this for a while. However, this is definitely the whole thing that we're moving towards, removing the idea of the Queen and Great Britain. Like, we are no longer that tied as we were 100 years ago. Yeah. And it's so... I kind of feel bad for Rochelle. Why I feel bad for Rochelle? This is kind of an identity crisis comment. You know, this is the whole... Through this process, I've decided that this part of our country I will not stand for anymore. And to give you that in, like, this comment... Sorry, to give this in a comment section under the whole, like, Winston Peters thing of, like, this is our heritage, whatever. This woman is vehemently saying no. I don't want this anymore. And she is definitely a thread in the fabric that is being ripped apart of our identity. This is not an article. This is a post from the John Key Facebook page, verified blue tick, from 24th of March, 2016. That date is correct. That is the day after the referendum um, results had been released. And the post says... New Zealand has voted to retain our current flag, and I'm proud that more than 2 million New Zealanders participated in this important discussion and referendum on our national identity. Now a flag has been decided. I encourage all New Zealanders to use it, embrace it. More importantly, be proud of it. 2016 is also when uh, Facebook was more and more popping. It's not really the Twitter uh, sphere that, that you know. Um, so this was a massive point, you know, a politician actually writing this out themselves and just saying, hey, this is what I think. Um, first comment comes from Joanne. Joanne says, I'm proud to have voted. New Zealand has spoken. I am personally disappointed we didn't take this opportunity to embrace change and show our growth and the national love and pride we feel about our silver fern through a new flag. As Kiwis, we will continue to feel pride and love for our country no matter which flag is flying. Well done, Junkie, for giving it a go. And New Zealanders a chance to have their say. That's a great comment. It is. She's a clear lover of the democratic process around the referendum. You know, I love the fact that Joanne was like, it's about the love and pride we feel for this country. In the end, like, I am disappointed, but the flag doesn't actually matter. Kind of on your point in the introduction. But there wasn't actually a whole lot of comments like this in the thread. I can't imagine there would have been. Were a lot of them quite negative towards John Key? It was just all hurling abuse at at, at John Key. Really, really odd. And Joanna finishes off their comment with the, well done, John Key, for giving it a go, and New Zealand is a chance to have their say. But the abuse that I had to scroll through to find this comment really, (laughs) really makes you think that for John Key to give it a go and stick their nose out to attempt to, uh, whatever you want to say, make a legacy or, you know, do something individual. As soon as he fell, there were a lot of people being like, you're a loser. Yeah. That's your legacy now. You are, you will now be only remembered as the person that lost their referendum and tried to make us change the flag. Um, really odd. Do you think... And, you know, talking about the national identity of this country beside the flag, it seems as if tall poppy is inherently uh, a thing that is Kiwi. Absolutely. And remind me, but at the time, wasn't it something that other political parties were pushing as well? And that John Keane, maybe the national government were the ones who were like, okay, we're going to risk it. 
Like we understand that people might not be happy with this, but given a lot of the other parties, I'm not going to say all of them, but a lot of the other parties are interested in having at least a debate about the flag and whether we should change it. They were just the ones who stuck their neck out and actually gave New Zealanders the chance to have this say. Absolutely. Absolutely. So every single other political party, basically, that was important in the 2015, especially the Labour Party, were like, you know what? Let's change the flag. Let's have that conversation. And I think just because John Key was in for so long, people were like, this is your legacy project. And maybe as well in a sense of there are a few articles that were quoting John Key as saying, oh, I may lean this flag. I like this aspect of this. I actually know that John Key stated that originally he may have been interested in, say, the silver fern on the black background, but then actually the similarities that it had to Al-Qaeda John Key was like, I'm not sure about this yeah, one anymore. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of impressive court vision because when I saw the the silver fern on the black background, I that's not a flag that that's not something that came to mind. Yeah, I definitely didn't think of Al Qaeda, but John Key probably was like, I need to make sure. Yeah, let me check all flags that have a black background <laughs> to see what this is going to be like. Next comment is from Tom. Tom says, I don't think a flag truly represents a country in the 21st century. The citizens do. I doubt many, not all, can, without Googling it, tell me the flag of Sweden, Greece, or Morocco off the top of their heads. But I bet if you travel around that country for a period of time and get to know the people, you'll know those very citizens who represent the country and will do so very well. The flag is unlikely to even have a second thought. That's because flags nowadays mean very little. Sure, 500 years ago, they did. I have recently been to New Zealand and thought how great everyone was. You yourselves represent that country and you are doing a mighty fine job without needing a flag change. Damn, Tom. Nice, Tom. Honestly, kind of nice. Tom's whole thing is about the whole, you know what, flags are kind of useless anyways. Mm. It's just about how you guys exert yourself as people and citizens of your nation. So looking back historically to try and understand why some countries may have had a flag, uh, for some countries at least, flags are originally used for warfare. And to some extent, and especially as an example, the identification of friend or foe, say at different rallying points. And then now they've kind of moved to, instead of just for warfare, representing the entire country, a sign of leadership. And to Tom's mind, they don't actually matter as much anymore. Mm, I see where he, I see where both of you y'all are coming from. I think Tom is actually not not that I think Tom is wrong um, in the way that hey, five hundred years ago, flags definitely meant a lot, um, and flags nowadays don't actually mean that much. Um, Tom labels off Sweden, Greece, Morocco, those sort of countries with a long, long history. Um, and if we're going to look at Sweden, you know, a Nordic uh, country, it's a very bad example. <laughs> very bad example. And we do also know that Sweden is the blue flag with the yellow cross on it. Yeah, like we don't need to Google that. We all know who Zlatan Ibrahimovic is. Shout out. Yo. Um, but since the 14th century, it was the uh, Folkung dynasty uh, that employed those blue and yellow colors on the crest. And then that came through into uh, Sweden's national flag. Um, what those blue and yellow f- colors mean, uh, nobody actually knows anymore. Oh, really? No, yeah, absolutely. It's just because it was on that shield. Now, that shield represented that dynasty, and I'm sure that dynasty had the values, but in the 14th century to now, they mean very, very little. 
Um, however, new flags actually mean quite a lot because they have to find meaning to be different. Looking at the Barbadian flag, um, we have a trident in the middle of ours, and that was because once we got independence, we saw Great Britain as Poseidon, and on the crest that they originally gave us, the person who was representing Great Britain was holding a long staff with the trident on the top. And so there's a very short trident on the Barbados national flag to sort of give the idea that we've killed that person, this is now the top of the trident, and this is who we are. And that's a part of our identity now. That's incredible. That's, yeah. that's beautiful. That's really, I really think nice. that's what a flag should kind of mean to the people and to the country. Absolutely. Because, you, you know, you kind of have to have a story behind it in that history. But, you know, those sort of old nations like Greece and, yeah, Morocco and all those sort of things, they're really built off those dynasties and those royal, like, you know, family um, emblems. So they don't actually mean that much. As you said, it's more that friend or foe thing when you're going to battle and, and war. You have to have that color to be like, oh, that's my guy. Mm. You know, and to the back end of Tom's comment around you yourself represent that country, probably thinking of, okay, what values do we as New Zealanders or Kiwis kind of hold close to our chest? Now, it's quite hard because there are obviously like a lot of people that are going to be in a country, but you've got to just kind of pick and choose a couple values that you say align with more. And then from there, maybe choose different colors that represent that. Exactly. Perfectly put, Tabby. So what is the Kiwi identity? Like, what do you think those values are? I mean, personally to you, because for me, you know, flying the flag wouldn't necessarily be like, I guess, patriotic um, coming from Kaitaia and everybody knows exactly the ABC drive that I'm about to mention that has the United Tribes flag actually flowing from their house. And you see that flag quite often, as well as the Tino Dagatiratanga flag when you go up to Ottawa. You see those flags flown quite often. And I wouldn't necessarily say that that doesn't make them unpatriotic. I would definitely say that I don't feel any more Kiwi if I'm flying that flag. Um, and I'm really interested to see, you know, like what do you like? What do you think that plays a part of in the Kiwi identity? I mean, first off, I think it's it's interesting that you decided to go in the path of dissecting, say, the Kiwi identity, because I think for a lot of people, and with the theme here, Kiwi and New Zealander aren't one and the same. So for me, when I think of Kiwi, just from my experiences, one thing that I would probably say is the family kind of community. Because of the fact that this country is so small in population, you're, it's, so, it's so easy for you to find that when you meet somebody, say, at a party just walking down the street, you know their second cousin. You lived in the hall with their best friend from high school. So I think that kind of like whānau concept to me is something that I would use to identify as a Kiwi and something that kind of brings us all together. So that's probably what I would say there. Dang, that's, I mean, it's very different, but it's also beautiful. I, I, I love how we have two different ideas of, I guess, what a Kiwi would actually um, identify, you know, with, especially as in this conversation of having a flag and, and all these sort of uh, disagreements. But in saying that, the whole Tino Rakatiratanga flag, the red, black, white flag um, that is flown at Minia Iwi, and it's sort of considered as the Maori flag, yeah. has not been in conversation at all throughout this entire referendum, which is which I think is, is quite interesting. Do you think that... I don't really think that many quote-unquote Kiwis even struggle with that part of their identity. The last article we're going to look at comes from New Zealand Herald. Published on February 8th, 2021, headline says, Councillors call 
We are maturing. Surely we're ready to fly. Two flags. Tagline says, would you back this move? New Zealand Herald knowing exactly what they're doing, being divisive, putting a, like, putting a question like that as a tagline. Oh, absolutely. They know exactly what they're doing. So when they say flying two flags, they're not meaning that we literally have two flags that represent New Zealanders. And at, say, international events, we have two flags? Or mm. what are they meaning in this sense? They are meaning the the Southern Cross flag, the one that is current, our flag, and Tino Dagantiratanga flag over the Auckland Harbour Bridge. Oh, is that it? And That's, people are kind of like upset about that? Not only just upset, like New Zealand Herald was like, would you back this move? Oh my God. Tell us in the comments. All right, bro. Anytime you see New Zealand Herald in the comments being like, oh, we're going to shut this comment space down because it's getting real racist. It's like, did you do it? Yeah, did exactly. You, did you do this? Because you just honeypotting a lot of racists <laughs> right now. First comment is from Owen. Owen says... As other commenters have said, two flags just emphasize how divided we are and how much more divided we are becoming. Be careful. See what's happening in the U.S. Really interesting comparison here to the USA um, because I think for the first time in this, this article, we're going to kind of look at the race component into you know what this flag sort of represents. Because in the USA, the Confederate flag makes African Americans feel very offended and very uncomfortable, obviously because of what that stood for in the United States Civil War. There's a lot of people saying that it didn't stand for slavery, and it's like, why are you starting the conversation like that? Um, <laughs> But that is about the, you know, the southern states of America, where black people literally had less rights and civil rights were not taken seriously. Absolutely. Um, and so you now have, uh, sort of in the future, Owen is making this comparison to the Tiro-Lagatiro-Tanga flag. Um, and kind of being like, look, this makes us look really div- like divided. What the hell? As if the flag referendum didn't make us look divided at all. Yeah, this is someone kind of waking up to the thought of, oh, are we actually divided? And it's like... Right. You guys don't Wait, agree what? with me? And it's like, yes, we are. It's unfortunate that it took a flag referendum for you to realize that. But, hey, at least now you know. Not only that as well, the, the flag referendum was so interesting. The first voter turnout was around 47%. And that was of the whole, like, pick the flag that's going to go against our current flag. Yeah. The second referendum was around 67% turnout, which means that 20% more people of the population came out and being like, I don't even care about what y'all picked. But I don't even, even want to come to the first vote. I'm going to keep our current flag. People came out of their woodworks. Their dogs voted. What the hell? <laughs> you know, those citizens weren't even willing to vote in that first referendum. And that's how divided we are. Mm. It's interesting that you went to, you went down the path of assuming that that 20% were like, I don't care what they put up. I don't want to change our flag. Because some of them might have been like, I hate what our flag currently stands for. And I'm so keen to change it. So regardless of what you choose originally, I'm just going to vote against it. It's no. So weird. I'm just going to vote for it. Mm, mm. And, and isn't democracy just great? I'm going to stop. I'm sorry. Oh, please, I'm sorry, bro. bro. We get I'm it. I'm sorry. Next comment comes from Wendy. Wendy says, would prefer flag of independence and New Zealand flag. The Tino flag can slash has been associated to racial divisiveness, whereas the flag of independence represents our first founding document. You're going to need to dissect some history for me here and educate me. Wendy really coming through with a really weird historical bag with, 
<laughs> with the whole like, yo, the Tiananmen flag, the Tiananmen flag is real, like racially divisive. Not really that kind of true. But then also knowing about the flag of independence is like, wow. Yeah. This must be a history teacher. Yeah. Um, the flag of independence, um, as I have said previously, is often actually flag uh, flown up north in Kaitai, um, as well as for those who do know the history of it, it is the flag of United Tribes. Um, a little history story here. The creation of that flag was actually because in those days you couldn't sail a ship without having a flag. And there were many uh, ships that were trading and obviously uh, violating this uh, British Navy law of not flying a flag. And so a meeting of Maori chiefs convened at Waitangi um, by James Busby, a British resident, and they were all like, look, Britain are really oppressing us with the whole like, yo, you guys have to have a flag because they still think that we're savages out here. So two high-ranking Maori chiefs, uh, Patuone and Taunui, decided to say, look, we were passengers on the ship. We were like, you know, pretty much held as prisoners because we didn't have a flag. Let's make a flag that really like, you know, sorts all of us. And at the same time, they also made the Declaration of Independence under that exact flag. And it's the flag of the United Tribes. If you ever see it, it is pretty much the English flag, the red and white one. But in the top left corner, there is the flag of the United Tribes um, from 1835 in Waitangi. And that there was flown on the ships. And Britain recognized that as the New Zealand flag, which is our first kind of flag. <laughs> I don't really want to, you know, I know everybody's all like the, no, the Southern Cross, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Also, a lot of people died for that flag in 1835. Oh, yeah. And the British killed them. Yeah. So... Who are we trying to represent? Who are we finna... Yeah, anyways. Yeah, so that's uh, what Wendy gets into. Really interesting uh, knowledge there, Wendy. I had to kind of search a little bit deeper for that than usual. So kudos to you. But um, I don't believe, and you can kind of let us know as well, I don't really think the Tino Dagatitatanga flag is that racially divisive. Nah, I don't really think it I is. I don't think it is at all. Last comment comes from Millie. Millie says, in the UK, we have the Union Jack and plus a flag for each nation. That's five flags. Stop complaining about just two flags. It was Maori land first. Millie with the piping hot tea. That is the tea. Are we going to give an applause for that? I think, I I think we should I get think an applause Millie for that. I think Millie is going to get the applause of the episode there. The Union Jack represents all of those nations um, in that sort of area, you know, the UK. Um, and... I guess, yeah, like, Millie is Millie is very right of, like, why y'all complaining? We got mm, five flags in the That's true. Millie's like, right. Like, what's going on? And it was Māori land first. Absolutely. And I guess it, it comes down to the question of what part of New Zealand history do you want to represent? That when people Google New Zealand, what do you want the first thing for them to see to be? Now, by having the flag as it currently is, you want them probably to think of, oh, New Zealanders all fought under this, blah, blah, blah. But then when you look at other options, it may tell a different story of New Zealand's history. Exactly. And, you know, if you're looking at the Tino Rangatiratanga tag flag first, then, yeah, you're going to find a totally different part of New Zealand's history. Um, probably a part of New Zealand's history that's been isolated quite a bit. And we can see from these comments, especially the articles by New Zealand Herald and stuff, that everybody was very, very divisive in not just the Silver Fern flag, not just the Tiananmen flag, but in the Southern Cross, the Royal Navy Blue flag that we currently fly today. And it's such interesting 
discussion around our international sort of uh, identity, right? And we've seen these isolated groups being like, absolutely, yes, for, this is our identity. And we've seen these other isolated groups being like, I will not stand for the Union Jack whatsoever. And so as a country, yes, we have those isolated pockets of what Kiwi identity is. And some of those pockets that struggle with that identity are having way more important conversations than what a physical embodiment of our identity is, like a flag. Because unfortunately, they have other bigger fish to fry than what our flag is. Floor is somebody. <laughs> <laughs>